Today on Season 3, Episode 87 of the Unknown Packers Podcast, the offseason continues and is just starting to heat up. The Packers are making moves, and Bryce, Ken, and I are here to talk about it. We have coaches coming in, coaches heading out, and salary cap moves being made. We focus on Joe Barry, address some listener questions, and tie it all together with some fill-in-the-blank. What do we think is next in store for the Packers? Listen in and find out. And now it's time for Offseason Continued on tap. so much for following the unknown packers podcast touchdown dagger al harris 56 yards to a game winning touchdown green bay packers winning isn't everything but it's the only thing Let me tell you this, Green Bay is a great town. This is Green Bay, Green Bay, Green Bay. And welcome to the Unknown Packers podcast for off-season continued. Myself, Ken Ingles, and Nebels back at it once again. If you have not yet, check out UP's On Tap, our season-ending award episode. This episode, first half, we're going to talk about the new defensive coordinator and also some other coaching changes. In the second half, we, we are going to talk about fan questions and then fill in the blank, and then we will wrap up and bid adieu, and we will continue on with the offseason. But I don't know about you guys. I I think I like the offseason, dare I say, more than the regular season. What? Game, games it. games are pretty nice to watch. I like games. No, no, don't get me wrong. I love watching games, but the one thing that I really have been enjoying these last couple weeks is just, I don't know, just the unknown. Just much like the regular season, you don't really know week to week, but, and no offense, like I just recapping and breaking down the game, sometimes it was a, wi- a win, more more times than not. But then a loss and the offseason, it's all just, I don't know, conjecture. We're all just, I mean, Ken, you've you've got a little bit more, I guess, clout. And I'm just I'm just spitballing. So when it comes to defensive coordinator, I want your guys' take. We we did some texting back and forth. But if you want to interject about my offseason claims. And then well, I, I think DC. the reason I think what you're experience, experiencing, Bryce, is that feeling of hope that we all get in the off season, right? Because after the season's over, we have that period of time where we're disappointed, where we couldn't get past the NFC Championship game yet again. But then, what, what are you doing? As, as a what are you on, doing? I, I know. And, I already and, told you that the offseason. I understand. It's, it's a new day. It's a new exactly. Chapter. I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm getting forward. there. And we, we turn the page. Ahead. We turn the page, and then we look towards free agency, and what can we? What can this team do to get better? And we look towards the draft, and what can we do to get better? You know, who's going to be that guy that's going to come in right away and and lead this team to the promised land, right? And that's what the offseason's all about. It's where fans, in general, they pivot towards hope and towards improvement. And that's why you get, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who line up and stand outside at the draft, you know, just to, just to hear a name called, right? Because it's that that overwhelming feeling of hope that dominates 
the offseason and where where your team can go and for us you know where the packers can go and it, it's fun stuff it, it gets gets the endorphins flowing i get it and every offseason has been i mean there's been some factual storylines things that we've been looking forward to last year can lafleur bounce back what is gutekunst going to look like in what is third draft and Little did we know, like right around this time, we had no idea what we were going to be expecting come the draft. But this episode is not going to be talking about the draft. We're going to talk about uh, some coaching changes. And there's actually been quite a few wait a minute. coaching wait, I changes. Thought, wait a What's minute. What's up? I th- I'm only here because I thought this was the J.J. Watt episode. Oh, no. That's, Do we indulge a, that, you? Do we indulge you? That'd be a short episode. Sorry. Uh, hey, Ken, uh, Ken, how about this? Um, What is the league minimum that we can get? For J.J. Watt. I saw this in the Insider in- Inbox, and uh, I love how... I, how much, I how much could they responded. pay him? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm being I'm being sarcastic. Oh, the whole the whole J.J. Watt, uh, he can come, hometown discount, all that stuff. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to get into it. We're not going to talk no. about J.J. not today. <laughs> we are going to talk about that side of the, f- the football, though, and I know the big news, and people are already... Tempted to burn Lambo to the ground with the whole J- Joe Barry hiring, and I've got a different tune. But I am curious and intrigued. What what are your guys' take with the hiring of Joe Barry? It's happened a while. We've let it settle. I kind of like that that we didn't we didn't do a knee jerk or the next day sort of episode. We waited, and here we are breaking down the new changes for Coach Lafleur and and that defensive side of the ball, but. Where do you guys stand? Speaking of knee-jerk, I kind of feel like it was almost too quick of a hire. I'm one that's not – I'm not thrilled about it yet. I mean, I obviously I could be persuaded, but just looking at Joe Barry's history in the league, there's really nothing overly impressive about him. I mean, he's he's had his two stints as defensive coordinators. Long yeah, he time had ago. One with, a long time ago, yeah. One with, was with Detroit, and then the other one was with the Redskins. I will say he does he, – he seems to do well with linebackers. I mean, he has coached some good ones over his – you know, over his tenure, over his, I think he's coaching for what twenty five years or so. Uh, most of that as the linebackers coach, he's coached some good ones over his time. You know, Derek Brooks probably be the the biggest name that sure. I saw there. But like I said, when he was the defensive coordinator of Detroit, they were the thirty second ranked defense both times. Went zero and sixteen the one year, and in fact, they uh, via DVOA. They were the fourth worst defense in the history of the NFL. So we got that going for us. We got an interesting episode so far. I oh, wasn't yeah. expecting some DVOA talk. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, DVOA. And I then when he went to, went to Washington, I mean, I, I was reading some articles <laughs> beforehand, and 10 games into his tenure, they're already ready to, to chase him out of town. I mean, I do believe he survived two years, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those guys that seems like another retread. I would have liked to see someone a little bit younger, a little bit uh, you know, more innovative. I know they brought him in because he's been with the Rams and they want him to run the Fangio defense, but he's never actually worked for Fangio, so I don't know how well you know, he'll he'll be able to do that. <laughs> and then you know, in another article I was reading, you know, when is is Washington? I mean, he's he's one of those guys. It's more it's more the same as Patton. He likes to play off coverage. He likes to play you know kind of that that uh, that that Tampa two defense. That's what he's rooted in, and it's just going to be really interesting to see if he's. You know, been able to come up with a whole new scheme when in his tenure with uh, with the Rams and what he's going to bring to Green Bay. So, like I said, obviously I have no choice but 
to be open-minded about it, but I'm not thrilled about the hire. Right. I'll, I'll piggyback off you really quick, Nables. You know, Tom Silverstein broke this down, I thought, quite eloquently um, in a tweet in, on February 6th where he talks about Barry's four years as a DC, and you talked a little, about it a little bit, but his team's ranked in four years, 32nd, 32nd, 28th, and 28th in yards allowed, and 32nd, 32nd, 17th and 19th in scoring. And those, again, for respectively, were the Lions back um, in 07 and 08, and again, Washington in 15 and 16. You know, I'm not someone who's plugging in tape for, uh, you know, going back to 07 or even 15 or even last year, right? I'm not tape guy. So I really can't give you a X's and O's opinion of what this guy can do. But I took that, that tweet right there, and I'm like, well... Numbers like that definitely help me explain why he's a two-time former defensive coordinator. I don't care what your roster looks like. If you're putting up numbers in the bottom of the league and sometimes the bottom, the worst of the worst, 32nd, you're not going to get a job very long. But I don't know. For me on the bright side, you know, let's 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 uh, turn this over a little bit. Well, have no fear. I, I, that's the, that's that's oh, why yeah. I'm here. That's why you're here. But I'll, I'm going to be singing I'll, a totally different tune. I'll transition into that, but I hope there's at least some better communication that comes out of this hire um, and that there's some better partnership between the head coach and the DC. Seems like there were some pretty awkward moments, especially this past year at the podium sure. where the floor would be asked, you know, why did the defense do X, Y, Z in that mm-hmm. situation? And floor's like, I have no idea. Like I would have done something completely different. That's something I need to have a conversation about. And that wasn't just like a one or two time occurrence. That seemed to, especially down the stretch where, the beat beat writers were kind of keying in on that and were kind of poking at that a little bit and kind of get get the similar response. You're kind of thinking if there's trouble in paradise there, because again, LaFleur never really got to pick his own guy. But right. another thing that's just like, you know, in the unknown factor though, it's like we still don't we haven't heard from him, which is kind of interesting that the Packers haven't had a, a press conference to introduce Barry yet and to kind of allow the media to pick his brain. We don't know what type of style, you know, he's specifically looking to play. I know we talk about the Fangio defense, but like what type of fronts, you know, what specifically is he going to be looking for out of our backfield, out of the, you know, out of the front seven? You know, does he want big, strong bodies up front or is he going to be relying on more athletic linebackers uh, making plays, running around? And that could definitely impact the upcoming draft and free agency as well. So mm-hmm. there's just a lot of unknowns. And both from the fact that we haven't heard from him and just from the, you know, his past resume is just kind of a question mark. Ooh, yeah. If if uh, if he's tuning in right now, I mean, that was I mean, I think that was as nice as you could put it without with also conveying the facts of what his resume has shown. And I'm not going to disagree with both of your perspectives. I think it's definitely warranted. I also try to look at silver linings, what are some other reasons? I'm also going to trust Coach LaFleur as well. A lot of people were up in arms when we hired Nathaniel Hackett when he was coming out of Jacksonville, saying, like, what kind of offense was that? That turned out to be pretty good. Um, so I'm going to – I'm Jerry Gray, I, I, I think what he's shown in the past couple of years hiring coordinators, it's turned out well so far. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt – that could be a factor that maybe it was rushed in. He's human. 
he makes mistakes, so I'm hoping this isn't one of them. But for some positives with Joe Barry, uh, in his four seasons as NF- NFL defensive coordinator, twice with or two years for Detroit and two years for Washington, Barry's teams ranked in the top five in the NFL and forced fumbles. In four of those years, his defense is also ranked in the top 10 in the league in takeaways in two of those seasons, which was 07 and 15, and in sacks in two of those seasons, 07 and 16. The word that was thrown around was aggressive. And I don't know, whatever you can, however you're going to dissect that. But that's what Lafleur talked about in his press conference. He wanted people, he wanted the defense to be a little bit more aggressive. You're seeing that name tied to him. So for me... I think that there's some intrigue. I was hoping for like a younger name and mm-hmm. up and comer. I'll be honest, the Jim Leonard hype was getting really hot. And so I started, you know, dipping my toes in, seeing how warm it was. And it got scorching hot and I succumbed to it for a couple days. So then, you know, he declines. And then all of a sudden, all of, all of a sudden you, you hire Joe Barry. There is some ties with the Rams and Lafleur when Lafleur's there. So I think there's some familiarity. He was also assistant head coach as well. Um, so I, I think he, he mentioned that's what he liked in in Petten was that he had some head coach experience. I know Barry wasn't a head coach, but he had some, I guess, maybe some head coaching duties that can alleviate the burden. Lafleur can f- focus on the overall team management and the offense and then uh, the defense being Joe Barry. So I, I do think that there's some positives. He was also part of a very stout and impressive defense. I don't know if that's the Brandon Staley effect, but I'd like to think that Barry had some influence on it. Uh, Lafleur is also a really smart guy, so something must have happened in the interview that he was like, "This is my guy." And so I don't know. I just I look at Lafleur kind of cut from the same cloth as Gutekunst and maybe Murphy, where when they knew that they had their guy. They keyed in on him. So for me, maybe it was an impulsive early hire, but the floor seemed like he got his guy. It is odd, though, that he hasn't talked yet. So I don't know what that is. I do know or I read something that he wanted to fill all of his coaching vacancies before making a mm. press conference. So I don't I don't know. I think that's kind of odd. Like, why wouldn't you just have a, a press conference and then the other hirings, you can sort of announce that. But I'll defer to uh, the internal workings at 1265, but that's my take on Joe Barry. I don't know. Like Ken mentioned at the start of the episode, it's all hope. I'm intrigued. The defense has a lot of playmakers, and if Lafleur saw something in Barry that was like, he is my first defensive coordinator, I'm going to trust him. But granted, yeah, there are some things that make you cringe. I'm just going to defer that Lafleur knows what he's doing. I guess the biggest thing for me, you know, looking at this, now you know where we are now compared to when we're looking at this when it's like oh here are the candidates who who do you want right is the fact that it was now known that jim leonard was offered the position so he was clearly the number one guy and then he declined it and then so joe barry just kind of feels like (laughs) you know the uh you know like first loser you know second place like it just if it would have been one of those things where that's a you, good point. You look at all the names on the docket and they announce Joe Barry's the guy and Jim Leonard True. didn't make it, even if he did decline. But if that didn't like get out in the media, would we have a better, would there be a different stigma around him and be like, oh, wow, this is the guy that beat out everyone's favorite Jim Leonard. Or it's like, oh, no, Jim Leonard decided to stick around. 
Madison. And so I guess we're going to go with this guy now. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, damn it, Ken. You're so damn good. <laughs> Hashtag Fireberry. Oh, God. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not going to be this episode. <laughs> uh, mentioning some other... I, Unless anyone wants to add a little bit more to uh, Joe Bear, I did want to mention some of the other hires. One I'm actually kind of intrigued about, and I wonder, and I'm wondering if you feel uh, the same vibe from me. But anything else that you want to talk about, Barry? No, I think we can move on. Yeah, I agree. All right, then. Other coaching changes Jason Simmons, uh, the former Packers DB's coach, is headed to Carolina. Um, also, Christian Parker, who was a defensive quality control assistant, he's expected to be the new. Denver Broncos defensive backs coach. And then Butch Berry is also headed to the San Francisco 49ers. He served as a senior analyst for Coach LeFleur in 2020. He will be the new assistant offensive line coach. So there is some turnover. Also, Kevin Coger, uh, who was the quality control coach for the Green Bay Packers, he oversaw uh, the tight ends group, and he will now be the tight ends coach for the Chargers. So a little bit of turnover, but there is a recent hiring. As we were recording, uh, you had uh, Ryan Mafferty. Excuse me. It's uh, Ryan Mahaffey. And uh, my take is that he's actually going to replace Kevin Coger, sort of oversee that tight ends group. So this is where I, you know, can you get all nerdy with the salary cap? I get all <laughs> kind of nerdy with this. So I was really intrigued with the fact of uh, Ryan Mahaffey. I'm sorry for butchering his first name, but the exciting thing for him is that you can't get enough H-back. This dude was an H-back in college, so former tight end, fullback, hybrid. I think that he's going to share his knowledge of the game, and then I think he's going to step in. It hasn't been announced, but that's my sort of inkling, is that he'll replace Kevin Colger. He'll he'll be paired up with uh, Justin Outen for tight ends. And I like what we're seeing in that H-back group with uh, Josiah DeGuara, Dominique Daphne. I think that you've got uh, the possibility of uh, Jay Sternberger. If you listen to the Yuppies, uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, love thrown for him in his second year. But then uh, also, do they bring in someone else? Like if they focus so much on that position, I I would love to see if they draft another one in the later rounds just to boost up that competition. But uh, that I got pretty excited about that. Like I said, I have no idea how that transpires. It's all hope. That's why I love the off season. What are what are your guys' take on all the? Do you think there's going to be that much of a an influence? And maybe that's the reason why he hasn't had uh, Joe Barry talk is that he's still filling up mm. his uh, coaching staff. Well, I guess when y- you name off all those coaches that are in some of those you know, intermediate positions that have left to gone off, you know, not, not the big name coordinators, right. You know, there's still a lot of holes to fill. And so, you know, this is not a complete team yet as we look at it from a coaching perspective. So I think maybe that does answer a little bit of questions on maybe why we haven't heard some, you know, from some of these folks, but man, now you've got me a little intrigued. The fact that I'm an action speak louder than words type of person when it comes to the Packers and what type of guys they draft and who they decide to keep around and who they don't. The fact that they took an H back in the third round of the draft last year, and now they're specifically bringing in a guy who played a position to coach that position um, on the team really shows that that is going to be a focus for this Packers offense moving forward. So that got, that definitely has me a little uh, 
excited for the future because I know I was really high on Deguara. He was one of my preseason darlings. Unfortunately, had that injury to, to knock him out. But just just that position is very intriguing to me in the modern offense. And so I'm I'm definitely hyped for that as well. And they know each other. Mahaffey and Lafleur knew oh. each other at Notre Dame. So when Lafleur coached the quarterbacks, Mahaffey was a graduate assistant that focused on the wide receivers. But he's mostly spent most of his time at uh, Northern Illinois focusing on that tight ends group. But being a former tight end, fullback, H-back sort of guy. you got to think that he was hired for a specific reason. He was an offensive coordinator. Uh, I'm sorry, offensive coordinator at Northern Iowa. So he had a decent position. So I've got to think that I know it's a foot in the door, but I think he's going to have some sort of imprint. So he's definitely a, a, a coach to keep an eye on throughout this offseason and into training camp and seeing what sort of imprint he has on that position. I don't have a whole lot to add, but I, I like that he is, I mean, he's only 33 years old, so he's one of those young up-and-comers, you know, having been the offensive coordinator, being a, f- a former fullback himself. I think he'll be pretty interesting to, you know, it, like I said, if he if he works with the tight ends, receivers, they, they say, they're speculating that he's going to do something probably with the, with the passing game. So mm. I think, uh, I said, maybe he's one of those young up-and-comers, could be a good good hire, and uh, I'd like to see what he's going to do, how he's going to work himself up through the organization. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself again. This is a season of hope, but uh, Nathaniel Hackett getting a lot of uh, eyes thrown his way with a possible head coach maybe next year if he comes back and the offense performs like like it did this, this past year. I think he's going to be a hot name. So I also think that there's an opportunity where Lafleur's looking at people that have OC experience that maybe he's going to start grooming. He knows the writings on the wall that he's going to lose coaches to possible head coaching positions based off of the Packers' continued success or hopeful continued success. But um, Mahaffey's a guy I think um, he could surprise. I, I really don't know much about him outside of the fact that he was this whole H-back allure and it's some. It's definitely going to be a position that I keep an eye on for the draft and into training camp. I'm excited, especially Deguara with his season cut short, and uh, I hope that he can bounce back. That that injury doesn't sort of linger or have any sort of long term ramifications for him. Because I'm with you, uh, Ken. I think I think uh, the sky's the limit with Deguara, and I think it was a sneaky pick in the third round last year. Yeah, man. I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, again, this is that off season. That off-season uh, good vibes, good feelings that we all get to have. You know, it's that you kind of see uh, everything coming together, right? And you kind of see the picture through, like, the the code of the matrix coming together. It's all exciting. And even something as small as a, as a coaching hire can definitely lead to some excitement. We're going to continue those good vibes into the second half with fan questions, fill in the blank, and then we will wrap up and bid adieu. We'll be right back right after this commercial break. Go Pack Go! This episode is brought to you by Sonic Transformation. Check us out at www.sonictransformation.com. Sonic Transformation, your sound refined. Go, back, go! And we are back with the second half of Off-Season Continued on tap. And we are going to dive right into fan questions and at mad underscore fermenter. With the pack getting a number of uh, compensatory picks back for lost, unrestricted free agents for the 2022 draft. Do you see Goody taking this into account, i.e. trading 2022 draft picks to move around in this year's draft? Hmm. 
That's a that's an interesting question. Part of I'm going to say probably not. And the way I'm thinking about this is a few a few fold. One, we don't really know what the comp picks are going to be yet. Mm-hmm. It all depends on how this free agency pans out. We assume that we're going to be losing guys at this point, like Lindsley and Jones and perhaps Jamal Williams and Kevin King as well. Those would be kind of your big hitters. But we don't know where they'll kind of land on that scale to like where those comp picks would fall. You know, they could be anywhere from a third to a seventh round draft pick. But then another another issue is that you tend to devalue picks when you trade picks that are a year ahead. So for instance, when a when a team says, hey, we'll give you our first round pick next year for a trade, teams value that as a second round pick. So you're kind of getting pennies on the dollar in terms of a trade where I'm thinking that this year and next year, the Packers are probably going to want to have as many young, cheap guys as possible, just with the cap situation being what it is due to uh, the COVID decrease in revenue and looking at uh, decreases for those following years. Mm -hmm. So instead of trading away these invaluable assets of having young, cheap, controllable talent, especially if you're trying to trade away future picks into this year, that might not be the best unless the Packers are straight up saying we're going all in. We're going to, we're just going to blow this thing up and we need to trade up a few times into the first and second round, you know, then that's maybe their plan. But if they're going kind of status quo, what we're kind of used to, I I have a feeling that we don't use too many of our future assets this year. Yeah. I'm going to align with you on that one for sure. I just, I mean, this is still a draft and develop team. Mm-hmm. I, I just can't see Gutekunst, like you said, uh, not getting the ROI that he expects when he does trade. Uh, either he's moving up, like he traded a couple force to move up to get Savage. You also had the Jordan Love move as well. I forget what uh, what did we give up for Jordan Love when we traded up? It was a fourth. Fourth. Yeah. So you're seeing that that fourth round currency. I just don't. For me, I think you hit it right on the head. I think circumstances have changed. Uh, the decrease in, in revenue, the salary cap fluctuations as well. I foresee the the Packers, like you said, draft and develop, trying to obtain as many cheap assets as possible and developing them. Uh, you right. saw this past year that Gutekunst is going to listen to Coach Lafleur and who he wants, which – I feel was sort of different in in years past with the Thompson McCarthy era. Not maybe at uh, maybe in the beginning, but towards towards the end, it didn't seem like everyone was on the same page, and that seems to happen later in um, quote unquote fractured uh, relationships towards the end. But I, I think I think they they acquire as many picks, so maybe they trade back to mm-hmm. try to get uh, more picks, which is something that he hasn't done yet. So maybe all this trading up. That he's done in the first rounds, trading down his first year in 2018, then trading up to get Jair Alexander. Uh, maybe he sits back and trades back, but uh, I cannot see them trading away a 2022 draft pick, though. Right, and something I thought of really quick to, to add to this, the reverse side, right? Remember when the Saints gave us, you know, we traded down with the Saints, we got a first-round pick a few spots later, but then they gave us a first-round pick the next year. Mm-hmm. You know, that right. pick eventually turned into Darnell Savage, which is huge. Imagine if, you know, the Saints would probably like the opportunity to have a Darnell Savage on their team, cheap, 
when the Packers got the benefit from that. Yeah, I think we had to use another pick to move up to get them, but that's that that was such a huge value move for the Packers that I'm imagine being on the opposite side of that, where we start giving away the future to hope for something that we can do now, especially in such a tough, tough competitively a year where it's going to hard going to be hard to have competitive balance with all these teams really suffering from salary cap. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, especially with the, the the whole unknown of the salary cap over the next couple of years, if there's going to be any any time to follow that Packer way and cover, you know, draft picks, it's going to be now. Mm-hmm. You know, stock those things up like you guys were saying, just you know, invest those picks in in young cheap talents and hope, you know, you ho- you hope catch lightning in a bottle, hope you get that diamond in the rough and and you know, more of them stick than they don't. I just think that um, again, with the salary cap being so up in the air and such a mystery, those those picks are going to be are going to be worth their weight in gold. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. everyone they're losing to. I mean, yep, that's exactly the tough business uh, the next couple of weeks. I mean, you've already seen it so far with Kirksey and and Wagner. And uh, speaking of uh, Rick Wagner, we have another fan question from at Tevin's Barton, where he says, "There's been discussion that they may." might try to bring Rick Wagner back under a cheaper contract. Being the contract guy and the salary cap guy, not me, you can. What are, what do you think with uh, Rick Na- Rick Wagner coming back? I thought he was uh, pondering retirement. Right. That was the thought or that was the report that kind of came out. I think Domofsky had that and I think Bill Huber as well, like talking about after the Packers decided to cut ways with him, Ricky's like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to be looking to catch on with another team or not. At the end of the day, for this year, he was set to make $4.2 million, had a cap hit of $6 million. For being a swing tackle at that at that price, you know, I could see why the Packers felt like they needed to kind of, you know, move on from him. He could be one of those maybe late season phone calls, similar to like a Jared Valdeer. Oh, that we've no. had the past the two Rick seasons. Wagner mania, right? You know, yeah. So you can pencil <laughs> that mania in for you know, you know, week eight or whatever, and on <laughs> <laughs> we hear about it each and every week. I don't know. It'll be tough, but a guy like that again, he was. You know, they cut him for four point two five million in cash, and if they bring him back, it's not like the league minimum for a guy of his stature and uh, time served is a million. A million and seventy-five thousand dollars. Like, it is it worth it? Especially for a guy who seems like he has one foot out the door. I don't know, but he might be a phone call guy. You're always going to have a short list of guys that maybe the Packers bring in, but ultimately, this is part of their plan. They, you know, I've always said that offensive line, specifically offensive tackle, is going to be a for me. It's their number two need this year, and I had that considering that Ricky Wagner wouldn't be on this team, right? So I think the Packers definitely have their work to do, but if things don't go their way, never say never, but I wouldn't put it as a, it's not like that AJ Hawk deal years ago. And I forget the exact circumstances where they cut him and then they like signed him a week later to get around some contract nonsense. I don't think that's the situation that we're looking at here. Totally forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think, you know, I said, I, I don't think it'd be very likely for them to bring him back. I mean, just kind of looking at the current state of the offensive line, I, it's like you think, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, he was a bargain for, you know, for what, what they're paying him and, and how well he performed and for them to cut him in the, you know, with the current state of the line, they just, I don't want to say they don't like him, but they know, I guess they know what they're doing. I mean, there obviously must've been a reason why they didn't want to bring him back. I mean, was it purely money wise? 
I don't know, but like I said, right now um, with Bakhtiari being out and they're looking at having to shuffle that line around, I mean, you think that if they're going to cut a solid tackle, they must have some sort of reason or, or some sort of backup plan. The right. draft? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Or Mr. Mr. Undrafted Free Agent or Mr. Veteran Minimum Salary Offensive Tackle. Um, those are all going to be options, I think. And, I mean, they... They drafted three in the sixth last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, it's wishful thinking to hit that that you're going to hit on all three. But Runyon it was your rising, and he's a he's a, a player to keep an eye on. A Stepaniak uh, coming off an injury, but uh, he was highly touted coming out of Indiana. Um, a lot of people thought that he was sort of a steal, even though he got what is it torn ACL in December of uh, of 2019, but uh, who knows? I think this is the year that they they draft. Everyone's talking cornerback for the first uh, first pick in the first round or first round draft pick. I think offensive tackle. I thought it was going to be last year. I think it's going to be this year. I think that they put a premium on getting that book, and you've got Bakhtiari, and then at at right tackle, and then you've got Billy Turner that you can move around, and of course Elton Jenkins. But you're also looking at losing Lindsley as well, so. It's gonna be a fun, interesting offseason. I'm old school, man. I'm I would be a happy Packer fan if every year the Packers drafted an offensive lineman <laughs> or defensive lineman in the first round. Yeah. Like line play is so important, um, especially on the offensive line. That you know, and to find to find 300 pound men who can move, you know, with the agility of a gazelle <laughs> and are just not easy to find. And typically those guys are taken early and often. So get them while you can. Games one in the trenches. I love that. And I'm with you too. I, I love offensive linemen. I mean, Big E might be, my, uh, might be my favorite player right now outside of Aaron Rodgers. But moving on to another fan question, at F Miller 79 this is again your area. I mean, salary cap is, is, is the buzzword right now. And I'm wondering... Just like F. Miller seventy nine, will the cap be normal in twenty twenty two, or did they push some of the hit beyond twenty twenty one? Okay, well we don't know yet, but we kind of know. So the the players in the league, obviously, if you think way back to March of twenty twenty, they signed their new CBA, and then shortly thereafter, COVID kind of became a thing across the country and more of a headline capacity. It was always kind of something in the background, but then obviously, you know, the pandemic really started to take shape across not only the U.S., but the globe. So they had to come to terms on a new agreement, which they did in August because they're like, hey, we're going to lose a lot of money. Probably we might not even have a season. What's that? How are we going to handle that? And so the, the language says that whatever the loss is, we set the salary cap for 2020 at is 198. Let's just call it 200 for conversational purposes. So it was 200 million a team. Let's just say that once the season's over and we'd look back that that number is like it really should have been 140 million because we lost a lot of money. So how are we going to deal with that? The way the language says is we're going to take the hit in 2021 and 2022 and 2023 if needed. So we don't know if they've agreed upon whether they're just going to take it in 21, 21 and 22, or 
all three years through 21, 22, 23. My guess is they take it across two years, years. the first two. So how that works is, so again, we had a cap of 200 million. Let's say that if the pandemic didn't exist that, or not if it didn't exist, but let's say if like they didn't have to pay back that money, which unfortunately they do, the cap would be like 210 this year. Let's just throw out a nice even number. Well, what they'll do if they spread it over two years, that means $30 million is a negative to kind of pay back the owners for taking their huge losses and it's a revenue sharing. So they have to share it with the players. It would drop to 180 this year. But then that also means that there's another 30 million that's going to hit next year. Okay. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who are kind of under the assumption right now, like, oh, 2022, like the cap's going to be huge. There's going to be all these new contracts uh, with TV networks and new streaming deals. The cap's going to be like 220 million, 240 million. And that's, that, that's fantasy football. That, that is not reality. It's probably going to be closer to like 200 million, closer to what it was last year or 210 in like a, a positive situation. Think about it. If the cap is 180 million this year as like the lowest it can possibly be. And if there's the same negative hit next year, that means that in order to get a $220 million cap, that the cap would have to increase $40 million organically from year one to year two which would be four times what we've seen over the past 10 years. It, that won't happen. Right. And so next year's not going to be like where we can just kind of, you know, sweep our hands, be like, oh, COVID's done. Like we're taking this one year. It's going to suck, but next year will be fine. No, this is going to, this is going to impact and kind of sting the league for at least two years, maybe three. <sighs> Sorry to be a downer, but it's just, no, you know, I, you know, I started not looking preliminary at like 2022 i'm like oh my gosh just i already have them projected to be under the cap or sorry over the cap by 20 million dollars next year and we haven't even gone through the you know that's assuming (laughs) this draft next draft all these escalators and things that are going to kick in so the idea of just pushing all this money like hey you know let's just max restructure aaron Rodgers, let's max restructure all these guys so we can sign all these free agents well again next year's not fixed Next year is still kind of a problem. And so we could really be creating a bigger problem. But obviously, I trust Goody and Russ Ball have that all in mind. They're going to definitely take care of this team and not do anything to put us in harm's way. What once was an episode of hope has drastically turned oh, into of despair. No, it's good. It's, uh, again, I every episode, I mean, that's why you're a must-follow I look forward to uh, these recordings because I, I'm learning just as much as all of our fan bases now as well. To pivot a little bit into a positive light as we wrap up the fan questions, we do have at Joe at Work 87, who's been a, a, a regular, but all of his questions has just been money. So this one is another one up that alley. Uh, why don't more teams extend offers to restricted free agents? For example, in Green Bay, if they place a second round tender on Tunyon, would a team like the Jags be wise to offer a four year, $20 million deal? Packers won't match it, and Tunyon will likely be more productive than most players selected in the second round. As much as of a you know, tight end one 
fanboy that I am of Robert Tunyon. I don't know if he, even though he had 11 touchdowns, I mean, he had, what, 52 receptions, 550-some yards. While I think that's tight end one territory, I don't know if other teams are going to look at him as that type of four-year, $20 million deal. I think that the Packers control his sort of destiny for the next couple years. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ken. Yeah, they can uh, do the... He's a restricted free agent, so they can try and keep him around or match his deal this year. And if they really wanted to and he he sticks around or signs a one-year deal this year, they could franchise tag him after that. But that's really their only options to guarantee he's around unless they sign him to a multi-year deal. Do you foresee them giving him a multi-year deal? Um... I right now I have him looking in in my numbers. I'm assuming they throw a second round tender on him, which would be a salary of three point three eight million. That means that if another team tried to sign him, they would have to give a second round pick to the Packers if the Packers didn't match whatever deal. But there's probably a way where they could maybe give him a multi year deal and have his cap number actually be less than that tender of three point three eight. Not significantly less, but less. Yeah, so I, I really don't know. I always thought that they would extend him or try and keep him around. Um, now, I don't think it'd be a blowing the top off the tight end market type of deal, right. but a deal nonetheless. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, getting back to, to Joe's question, like, why aren't there more restricted free agents signed away? And like, why isn't that a hot market? I don't know. I, I think it's kind of the same way as like, there's not a lot of trades, I guess, in this league, right? Too, because not only do you have to give away your most valuable assets in a, from a team perspective, which is a draft pick, but then you also have to pay the millions of dollars. So it's like a lot of times you, you hear these guys who are like, oh, you know, the Seahawks are, gonna get rid of x player and they're gonna try and trade them and then nobody wants to trade for them and so then they cut them and now 10 teams are interested right it's because they don't want to have to give up both they don't want to give up the money and a draft pick and that's where it becomes tough these ones that are the right of first refusal i think we see those more often in terms of like teams trying to snag players away but again like, I think the Packers tried to do that. Who was that um, cornerback for the Bears? Uh, Kyle Fuller. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We tried snagging him away from That was you know, a genius move, too. Right. And it didn't work. Drove up yeah. the price. Yeah, drove up the price a little bit. And, you know, the Packers, it's kind of win-win for them. Either they could get a guy that they like at a contract that they like, or they just made the opponent, you know, within the division have to pay a little <laughs> bit more. Right? So I think it's that, you know, I think I think it's that reason, right? You don't want to have to give up too much and that's why we don't see a lot of veteran trades too for these like big dollars it's like do we really want to have to give up multiple draft picks and then have to turn around and pay the guy boatloads of dollars you know making him the highest paid x at his position right you know it's that's a lot to invest and if they don't work out oof it's double hit to your team teams do it though i mean you see these teams that shell out these huge contracts and trying to get the next look at Carson Wentz. Yeah, I know he wasn't a restricted free agent, but they extended him two years ago. It's crazy. And they just traded him away for peanuts, basically. And took like two thirds essentially? Yeah, it could end up being two thirds, you know, fair you know, fair market value on that. And they took a thirty four million dollar cap hit 
dead, you know, for having him um, not be on the team. And the best part is, or I should say the worst part is he hasn't even entered the extension period. Like the extension started like this year and he's not even <laughs> on the team. Andrew Brandt listed the, the highest cap hits right now for quarterbacks. And Wentz is the fourth highest quarterback. And it's for the Eagles, the Eagles cap hit. He's <laughs> not even there. Like, that's insanity. And I know that doesn't, you know, that's not restricted free agency, but it's like when you invest a ton in a player and once they, in, oh, the Eagles invested yep. so much in this guy and it doesn't work out, it is exceptionally painful uh, when those unfortunate things happen. I mean, they're done. I mean, for a while. I don't know how you can dig yourself out of this hole. And they've got a what whole new coaching staff now, too. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued with Wentz and him being reunited with Frank Reich, who was uh, the offensive coordinator when uh, Wentz had his quote-unquote MVP season before he went down with an injury. And then Foles rolled them to a Super Bowl. Anyway, this is not a Philadelphia Eagles episode, but the moment we've all been waiting for, the fill-in-the-blank questions, I get excited. This used to be like the hot seat. And now we're just doing a merry-go-round. But uh, I'd like to end on a positive note. Not that this episode has been a, a negative note, but every single episode I learned something a little bit more nuanced about um, the business of the NFL. And it grounds me even more so. But I want to get a little bit wacky with this fill-in-the-blank. And I'm, Let's get I'm interested. I'm interested in what you both think. The Packers' next move will be blank. Interesting. I'm sure Ken will have a more logical answer than than what I could come up with. But uh, I think if I was the Packers, the next move would be to try to figure out how to extend uh, Devontae. Mm-hmm. Um, as we all know, you know, after 2021, we have no receivers on the books, which could be a problem in itself. And I think that he is. He should be priority number one. You know, outside of of Rodgers, he's arguably one of the the most important you know players on this offense on the team in general. So I think getting him extended would be you know would be a very wise move at this juncture. <clears throat> Maybe it helps out a little bit with the salary cap now. Maybe it doesn't, but I think they should make it a a big priority to get that man under contract for you know the the next couple of years. Mm, I like that answer and. I think that that's definitely a priority. It's tough. I don't know what's next. I thought some, I thought some cuts might be next, um, and we just saw those with you know at, we just saw that with what Rick Wagner and uh, Christian Kirksey. You know they're sitting right now at twelve and a half million, according to my numbers, that they still need to clear before March seventeenth. They can still sign guys, and that's I think. Um, I've noticed a lot of people are confused about that. Like, let's say they want to go sign JJ Watt. You know, we talked about him earlier. They can go sign JJ Watt tomorrow or today when you're listening to this and it would push them further over the cap. That just means they've got more work to do, man. I I really like that Adams um, answer. The only question I have there is that that takes both sides to work on that. And if both, you know, if either side has a hang up, you know, that might push it out a little bit further. Things like cuts or restructures don't require the other player to agree. Um, even restructures, right? The team can take a uh, base salary or roster bonus and call it signing bonus instead. And they don't need the player's permission. The Packers include oh, those clauses yeah, in their that. contracts. Yeah. So, like, 
whatever they do with Aaron Rodgers, they don't need Aaron Rodgers' permission unless they add years or like change the terms around and stuff. But if they just straight name wow. name something differently, yeah, they don't need to talk to him about it. They just, you know, huh. he'll find out from his agent. So that's why I'm leading, you know, the, the analyst in me is saying it's probably going to be a restructure or a cut that we see first, even though I agree that Adams is probably the priority. Or here's another, man, I'm so indecisive. They could also (laughs) extend or um, actually not extend tender Tanyan. I think that timeline's coming up soon where they have restricted free agents. And I think maybe they place that. That could be the next one too. But I'm all over the place. I don't have a good answer. (laughs) (laughs) That's the beauty of filling the blanks. And I, uh, I'm, I actually think that they'll tender Big Bob. I think that might be the next move. Hey, I got Um, it in there at the last second. (laughs) Or... They do. I like. I mean, I. I think Adams is definitely a popular uh, choice to, uh, to work that out. Uh, he'd bank less. Uh, he'd be less of a cap hit, so it'd be another opportunity for the Green Bay Packers to get underneath that. But they also signed. I mean, David Bakhtiari and and, and Kenny Clark during the season. So a lot of the moves have already happened. So my logical sense says that the window for tendering is coming up. So Robert Tunyon. Looks to be that, but at the same time, I could see them totally looking at the draft and mm-hmm. um, focusing on that with virtual combine and you know, the college football scene and that being impacted by COVID-19 and uh, workouts and limited uh, film tape, all that stuff. So I wonder if there's going to be more emphasis on the NFL draft this year. So that's that's my guess. Interesting. Yeah, man, this offseason is going to be wild, unlike anything we've ever seen. So trying Giddy to predict up. it in order, man, that's a tall task, but I'm here for it. Well, I there's more fill in the blanks, right? Oh, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll fire off next. This one goes back to our conversation that we started the episode off with, with uh, Joe Barry stepping in as the defensive coordinator. So my question is for you gentlemen. In order for the Mike Pettin to Joe Barry decision to be, quote, worth it, the Packers' defense must blank in 2021. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. I'll go, I guess. Uh, You know, and I I was going to, my fill in the blank was going to be a a similar question. So I've been thinking about it a little bit. I just think in order for the handoff to be a, a success, I just think that it's as simple as, the Packers can't finish any worse on defense than they did this past season. I unfortunately think there is going to be a little bit of regression, as you will sometimes see with a new coordinator, especially if he comes in and you know is trying to implement a brand new scheme. You know, we don't know exactly what pieces are going to be where. We don't know, you know, if Preston Smith's going to be around. Certain things like that. Um, so I just think that uh, if they can get ahead of the learning curve. If there is any sort of off-season program that they, they're able to work together, I think that'll be to their benefit. But, uh, yeah, I just think that they need to at least finish on par uh, with with how they finished the last season for it to be considered you know, a successful handoff. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is that didn't they finish in the top 10? Weren't they like ninth or eighth in like total yards allowed? In yards, yeah, I think ninth, yeah. Yeah, which... You know, for all the venom being thrown at uh, Mike Pettin this season, you know that's that's not a bad place to finish. So that that's what kind of made me think about that question and specifically your answer. It's like they should probably be better, right? But 
will they be? That uh, will it yeah, be worth right. it? What do yeah, you think, Bryce? Well, Lafleur gets his guy. Like that's the big thing. He gets his defensive coordinator. So I think that was the missing link. He didn't really have the the keys to the palace uh, right off the the get go. It was sort of agreed upon that hey, Mike Penton's going to be your defensive coordinator. So that's what I'm sort of excited about is what is it about Barry that made Lafleur think, all right, this is my guy. I think they've got a, a bunch of young and up-and-comers ascending uh, possible superstars on the defensive side with Savage and Gary. You've got a bona fide superstar stud in, in Jair Alexander. Pair him up with uh, Z as well as Kenny Clark. Amos as well. Um, and you've got Barnes and Kamal Martin in the middle. Um, this is a good defense. So I'm, in, I'm enamored be. and in intrigued with the possibility of this whole aggressive mindset of Joe Barry and takeaways and sacks. Um, so this could be a very physical type of defense. Maybe that is something that will be different, but I don't know. All I know is that Lafleur's got his guy, and my thinking is that it's going to be better. But again, I don't know. Interesting, yeah. I think they've got a lot of talented pieces, and it's just... I think we're just looking for better execution or better situational awareness, at least from what seems obvious to the fans that maybe, you know, you don't play seven yards off when it's got <laughs> one yard to go. But well, see, that, and that's the one thing, sorry to interrupt, that's the one thing that concerns me is everything I've read is Barry likes to, to play that off coverage. Right. Uh, and he likes to use his safeties in ways that aren't quite as advantage to a player like Savage. So, like I said, some of the things I've been reading, again, he may come in and, and pull off the Rams, you know, the Fangio defense or whatever, but from what I've been reading, it just doesn't, the, the fit doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think Ken mentioned it, too, that is, it's scary to think is that, yeah, the one that got away. It looks like right. Leonard was the one that uh, Lafleur really wanted, so that, I'm surprised, sort of slipped my mind a little bit. I, I was more fixated on the coulds and the silver linings uh, of this hiring. But I think it's it's perfect that we wrap up offseason continued talking about Joe Barry and then the fill in the blank uh, wrapping up with Joe Barry. I know, Nebels, you had mentioned that it was a very similar fill in the blank, but as we wrap up offseason continued on tap, uh, what was your fill in the blank? Did it add anything to what Ken uh Ken's question was? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it up a little bit. Um, I was just going to – my original fill-in-the-blank you know, uh, was going to be uh, the Packers defense finishes blank this season. But I'm going to kind of uh, turn it, wrap it back to one of our, our previous fan questions, and I'm going to go with next season, Preston Smith will be blank. You want to go first, Bryce? Yeah, I think he's – I think that um, – I think he'll be released, I think, just given the – business of the NFL and what the Packers need to do uh, the emergence of of Rashawn Gary um, I don't know but at the same time Joe Barry, Preston Smith was there when Joe Barry was there so maybe maybe there's some sort of uh, resurgence uh, year three breakout with the Green Bay Packers with Preston Smith but the whole salary cap thing makes me think that he might be a salary cap casualty interesting if I were to answer this, I think the best way I would say is Preston Smith will be not playing under his current contract. There you go. And so that can mean a few things. He could be cut or he might be asked to uh, take a pay cut. 
I don't think there's there's a market just to push out any amount of signing bonus to next year. If you look at it, his contract, he's supposed to get $12 million cash this year on a $16 million cap. You know, right now, as it stands, he's the third best edge rusher on this team. And he's being paid like a number one or number two, like a one B or like a, you know, or a, a high two. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, those are the type of contracts that are vulnerable, especially when this team is desperate to get under the cap. So I think the Packers either straight cut them or they're like, hey, things have changed. We appreciate you, you know, <laughs> but not at that price tag. What do you say? You know, they, you know, think of, go back to last year, right? Everyone had Lane Taylor written off as a guy who was going to be a gone. Good point. And they came to him and they guaranteed a little bit more money, basically guaranteeing he was going to be on the roster, but they cut his salary way down and gave him some incentives to earn it back up. Unfortunately, he won a starting position and kind of fooled everybody. And, you know, could he be in that type of situation? Maybe, but I don't see him just getting a free pass and just walking into camp, you know, on the current terms of his deal. Something has to change. Fascinating. Fascinating. Man, what do you think, Nibbles? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much echo what what Ken was saying. He said it much more eloquently than I would, but (laughs) it's one of those things that if we saw, if it was, if we knew it was going to be the Preston Smith of last year or better, you know, I wouldn't have any issue with him coming back. But this year, he just, I mean, to me, he just looked like he was maybe out of shape, just wasn't into it. He didn't perform, you know, a, a, as a $16 million player would. I think this whole storyline of, well, he was, he played his first two years under Barry. I don't think that holds any water. Um, I, yeah, he played under Barry, but I don't think Barry has enough pull to say, hey, you know, this guy didn't play that well last year, but, uh, you know, pay him $16 million and I can, you know, I could, I can get him back up to speed. I can, you know, get his uh, his career going back again. Uh, like Ken said, I, I could see him staying here, but I can't see him, you know, staying for the same sixteen million dollars that he's he's supposed to make. So, I mean, that's obviously something that they're gonna gonna need to work out. I do think he still can be a good player. Um, I, I think he would. You know, it's nice to have him as a rotational player, but again, not at that sixteen million dollar figure. Wonderful content. Great fan questions and fascinating fill-in-the-blanks. Uh, just some tasty morsels throughout the episode. Looking forward to continuing the off-season next week with both of you. Uh, this is off-season continued on tap. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed talking about it. I'm Bryce Christensen. I'm Nebels. And I'm Ken Ingles. And this is the Unknown Packers Podcast. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Unknown Packers, as well as Facebook, Instagram, the Unknown Packers podcast. You can check us out on our website, theunknownpackers.com, and a variety of different podcast platforms as well. You can also say, hey, Alexa, play the Unknown Packers podcast. That's right. We're friends with Alexa. Go Pack Go. This podcast was edited and produced by Sonic Transformation. Sonic Transformation. Your sound, refined.